Hello and welcome to the Smells Like Infinite Sadness podcast. I'm your host, Michael Taylor. Those of you who don't know, I run the website, SmellsLikeInfiniteSadness.com. It's a blog covering the best alternative rock from the 80s and 90s up to present day. I'm a proud middle-aged Gen Xer who is still obsessed with the music of his youth and loves to talk about it. And this week, my special guest is David J., best known as a bass player for Goth Legends Bauhaus, as well as a bassist and co-vocalist of post-punk icons Love and Rockets. Jay has also had an extensive and varied solo career, and he's set to release his upcoming double album entitled Missive to an Angel from the Halls of Infamy and Allure on October 18th via Glass Modern Records. It's an ambitious undertaking. It features a host of guest collaborators, including Rose McGowan and Anton Newcomb of the Brian Jonestown Massacre. And they'll be celebrating its launch during an upcoming European and North American tour. In today's interview, Jay and I discuss the origins and creative process behind the new album, what fans can expect from the tour, as well as touching on the upcoming and very highly anticipated Bauhaus reunion show in Los Angeles next month. So sit back and enjoy the interview, and stay tuned after as we'll be playing a track off the new album. All right. Well, I guess uh, my first question is, I think that your new album, Missive to an Angel from the Halls of Infamy and Allure, it feels like one of your most ambitious musical accomplishments to date, and that's saying quite a bit given your, your musical history. So I was curious, I guess, did you always intend for it to be a double album, or did it kind of expand naturally? How did that creative process come about? Did it expand? No, did it, I, no I didn't. I thought it was going to be a single album. I thought it was going to be quite a short album, but it just, yeah, I kept writing and um having the opportunity to record and so yeah it naturally expanded yeah so i guess uh, do you consider it a concept album or um, it has a very thematic feel to it so i was kind of curious the way it was structured um it's like the la- the last three albums have been accidental concept albums in that i didn't set out with the intention to make a concept album but it's how it just sort of worked out and it's reflective of the way I write is kind of like my journal you know an album is my journal and this is what's going on in my life so if I'm honed in on a particular I'm focused on a particular kind of uh, subject let's <laughs> <laughs> say um, it comes out you know, so I don't, it's not conscious, it's, uh, it's unconscious. I know you've also got a very wide variety of collaborators on the album. You've got Anton Newcomb from Brian mm. Jonestown Massacre, you've got Asian Argento and, and Rose McGowan's. So I was curious, did you kind of attend to have them involved from the start or that kind of come about spontaneously? No. Or? <laughs> Spontaneous combustion. <laughs> I, no, I don't plan these things. I just, just it's again it's just uh, all natural evolution and it's just it's in a flow you know and it's just we put cross paths and it's the right time and things fall into place and it's never forced and it's never really um pushed it's just it's what happens in the flow and uh, you're in a zone and and things just yeah fall into place it's a good sign, I think, you know, when things happen like that. And I, I'm like that with all, like everybody who plays on the record. It just naturally happens, and it it's suggested by the song, the, the the collaborators, and and it's also serendipity. You know, I, I have, might write a song in transit to a certain place, and those people are there in that city, and I just call them up. 
and ask if they're available and they are, they come in. It's very like free, free wheeling. I think there's a very like serene quality to the album. It's, it's, um, the songs are very stately. I think there's a very beautiful quality to it. And I think a lot of that is due to the use of violin throughout on songs like Mosaic and, and Baudelaire. So I was kind of curious what inspired you to use the instrument so liberally. And I believe it was played in the album by, uh, Carol Hollis. Um, a lot of it, yes. A lot of it is Carol. We've just been rehearsing together. I mean, he's one of the best violinists in the world. I'm honored to, to be collaborating with him. Um, there are some other violinists that play on it, but he, yeah, he, the, the lion's share of the violin work is Carol Holas. It just kind of feels like almost like a second voice to the album because it underpins so many of your yeah. songs. Yeah, he's, a, he's got a very sensitive disposition and ear. And uh, even though there's a language barrier, I mean, we communicate through the language of the music. But he's a very intelligent man and <clears throat> very sensitive. And he just, he picks up on on the mood. And he'll ask me, you know, what is the inspiration behind the song? Where did it come from? And sometimes I have to have somebody in the middle who can interpret and tell him because, you know, he's learning English, but, but his English is a lot better than my checks. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he's... He's very, yes, he's just a very in-tuned guy, you know, and brilliant, brilliant musician. And uh, uh, one thing I really like on the album are the, the lyrics. I think are, I love them. Again, pre-existing condition or copper level seven. There, there's a very se- sexual undercurrent t- to it, but it's also it's very tongue-in-cheek. And it almost feels like the album's like yeah. a like a collection of, of vignettes about various women. So I was curious, if is, any, is any of this autobiographical or kind of poetic license or a, a bit of both? It's totally autobiographical, <laughs> I confess. <laughs> As was the last album, which was all about women, <laughs> actually. Uh, an eclipse of ships, but <clears throat> yeah, I'm narrowing the field <laughs> on this one. And I guess my favorite track in the album uh, is the auteur. I like that one uh, very much. It's got a very, very... Oh, sim- okay. I'm revisiting an old track. It was on an EP. And, um, it's, yeah, I just, um, it fits in with it, with the, with the theme, um, in that the, the author, I mean, a lot of it is, it, it's about me being, walking through the halls of infamy and allure, but the author is, you know, is obviously, that's not me, it's somebody, I'm observing somebody who I don't particularly like, who is actually resident in the halls of infamy more than allure and uh it's just expanding on that that theme and i i just had this i had a it really came from talking to to rose mcgowan about working on something together which was a couple of years ago and i thought well that that song would really fit her agenda mm-hmm. so i sent it i sent it to her and she she liked it a lot and she related to it on a per- very personal level. And she's actually recording her own version of the song. I've heard some some initial recordings that she's done. And I really I really like what she's doing with it. She's very perfectionist and has her own like idea of how she wants it to eventually be. <clears throat> but during that process of her doing her own version, I I, I it sort of stirred the song up in my consciousness again. I thought I could revisit that and maybe Rose could be part of it. So I just got her to do that, that end 
spoken word beat, which was done in, we weren't even in the same room together. She just did it on her phone. I said, just, you know, just free flow, but like just riff on your experiences with those individuals, you know, Weinstein, et cetera. Um, and she did, and she sent it to me, and it was just, it was perfect. And I just flew it in, and I did a response, I responded to to it in the studio. So it makes a very nice coda, and I, and I took for the back end the strings that are, that play in the main section of the song, and I, I slowed them down, I put them in reverse, and put a load of reverb on them, took out the original signal, so it's just reverb, and just had that coming up underneath. It sounds very ominous, and you know, I, I really like the effect of it. I very, like you said, very cinematic. That coda that comes in at the end. And I love her delivery. You know, she says, you know, the auteur must die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very, very dramatic, very dramatic. And then that's when I got the idea of calling it, playing on the idea of like the, the director's cut, but calling it the starlet's cut. And so it's like the revenge of the starlet because she comes back and, you know, it's like kill bills. You know, she has, a, she exacts her revenge on the, on the guy who's been manipulating her and exploiting her. Yeah, I definitely thought it had a uh, had a Me Too connotation. So that's that's interesting how mm. how, 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 how that how that came about. And yeah, and I know that the album is recorded in several different cities, including Prague, where you're you're based now. Were you influenced by the city during the recording? And how how long have you been residing there now? Oh uh, yeah, I'm not living here. I mean, the rain seeped in. I mean, literally, it started raining, and I recorded that in the courtyard in the studio here, and and that becomes the introductory sound that you hear on the title track. Um, but it just has a mel- like a deep melancholic um, darkness. There's some kind of magic here. It's, I love. You know, it's it's truly gothic. <laughs> And I know that you also recorded at Beck Studios in, in Bellingham, England, where Bauhaus did uh, Bella Lugosi's Dead. Uh, did that feel strange yeah. to, to record after so many years? Did it bring back a lot of memories? What was it oh, like yeah. revisiting oh, that? Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. It was, again, that was magical. I mean, this first time I've been in the studio since I did a, my second album, Crocodile Tears and the Velvet Costa. And um, first time I've been there since that time, which was 1984. And uh, it's pretty much the same, although it's been the guy, Dave Smith, has taken it over, has done a lovely job. I mean, he's very respectful. Derek Tompkins is the original owner, the guy who built the studio, really. And uh, But he's he's very con- conscious of the, the history and of Derek, and he's, he's honoured all of that. And just sort of got him... Um, Update. He's updated the the equipment, but also there's a there's a, a lot of analog gear in there, and he got a guy in like a, an acoustics expert because he thought he'd have to spend a lot of money on revamping it. But he got this guy in who did um, did his thing, you know, just checking out the acoustics for several hours, and he came back to Dave and he said, "Don't touch it." <laughs> so whoever built this studio really knew what they were doing because it is acoustically perfect. And that doesn't surprise me. 
because I mean Derek really did know you know what he was doing whereof he spoke as it were so um, it was great going back there and it was yeah very nostalgic and again it's this part of this like freewheeling flow you know I didn't initially didn't plan to record there I was just going to do a, a show there I had this idea of like, well, I'm playing in England. Maybe I could go revisit Beck and do a do a intimate concert in the in the recording studio and invite the you know, audience. Um, but I thought, well, I'm there. I might as well do some recording. So we did. So it was very spontaneous. And and I'd written that song like a few days before when I was in Porto, Portugal. And again, it's very like just what was going on in my life and in my head. And it was very fresh, and I'd been absorbing a lot of Bossanova um, when I was in that area, and really getting into that. And for the first time, like working out what the hell those chords are that those guys play—they're <laughs> very complicated. You know, you have to like make your hand, you know, do some pretzel moves. But I got those chords down, and I, and I just started playing this Bossanova. Uh, thing with the lyric that I'd written and um, it's funny because I mean Bella Lagos is Dead is basically a bossa nova the rhythm is bossa nova so it there's a nice kind of um, resonance there yeah I never even thought about that but I guess it does have to have the same kind of the same cadence as, as, a, as a bossa nova yeah it is a bossa nova well, I guess on the on the flip side of that, you've got the song "No Flood Can Drown," and that was recorded entirely on an iPhone. And did you yeah. just you decided to do that because you didn't feel that you could record it? You wanted to kind of keep it as that uh, kind of sparse um, rendition, or did, was it kind of an experiment to see what it would like be like to record with an iPhone? Or how how did that happen? What well, story behind that song is okay. So again, this is just it's a uh, you know very serendipitous and it's spontaneous uh, and I was walking down the street in Encinitas, California and I got it into my head that I need I need a Spanish guitar that was made in Spain a classical guitar and it's brewing I just get like a intuition something coming up and it needs this guitar and I'm not kidding I'm like on the same street so I walk into the local music store Moonlight Music and I and I see this little diminutive Spanish guitar and I said oh what's that and the guy said well it's just came, it just came in it was handmade in Barcelona in the 1960s I haven't even put a price on it yet and I picked it up and it was magic I said I want it and then I went home and that saw I wrote that song on it and then the same day I wanted to record it and there's a, a particular place that I love on this Beach, Moonlight Beach, which is kind of right from Moonlight Music, uh, up on the rocks on the near the bluff, and I just went down there and I, I I recorded the song. I just written it and recorded it into my phone, and it has the crashing waves in the background. And I thought, well, that's the rec- that's the record. You know, I don't want to do any any more with this. And it has a very it has a very significant meaning to to me and my wife uh, um, it's to do with the song of songs the song of solomon from the bible something i'll be writing about in the, in the next book that i'm gonna 
bring out next uh, you know, memoir. I don't really want to elaborate on that beyond what I just said, but <laughs> yeah, it just all it's like bubbled up. So it's and that was the right guitar for it, and it was a gift. It's a gift, you know. I think if you're receptive to these things, then the gifts come, mm-hmm. you know, and then you you give back as an artist. You give back with what you you give. You know, on, on the record, so it's reciprocal. It's the flow. You know, it's all about the flow. And uh, you'll be taking the album on the road. You'll be doing some European dates in North America. I'm especially excited that you're coming to Austin because I can't wait to check out the show when you come here. But yeah, well, that's we only have that one date at the moment, and it's just going to be me and um, the key the keyboard player played on the album, Robert uh, Batacek very good piano player. Um, originally, I was going to do a, a tour in December, but the Bauhaus gigs came up and we have a date in December. So I thought, oh, I'm going to put that on the, you know, put that back. So in the new year, I think I'll put a, a little US tour together. Very short though. What songs are you looking for most to playing live on your, on your solo tour? Or have you been working on when you're doing your rehearsals? What from the album? Yes. Uh, well, uh, one I re- really like, and this was, and again, like revisiting, because it was the, the first track on my first album, Etiquette of Violence, a song called I Hear Any Silence Now, which I've done a, another version, a very different version, and it's the last track on the new album. And uh, I'm doing that live, and I'm doing it like I do it on the new record, piano bass, basically. Uh, and aside from that, doing the title track, which is the key, a key track, you know, Missive. And uh, we do, we've just been working through these songs tonight. Uh, Copper Level 7, I do. And, um, and I do uh, Blue Eyes in the Green Room. Or as my my friend uh, Damien Youth rather wittily renamed it, Blue Balls in the Green Room, <laughs> <laughs> which is most apropos. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I, I know. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely look forward to seeing that. And I know you you mentioned the, you mentioned the Bauhaus show. I just want to touch on that briefly. I know last year, of course, you, you celebrated the 40th anniversary with your tour with Peter Murphy. But was that kind of what inspired this uh, reunion show in 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 LA, or did it just kind of come about? Just I again, like it's all the flow. It's the flow, man. <laughs> and I think because Peter and I were on the road, you know, we split into the two factions. So I'm out there with Peter. And that tour was, it was pretty amazing. I mean, we did like 86 gigs. It was fantastic. And uh, we, we noticed that we were very young. I mean, I mean, the old guard was still there, and bless them, you know, thank God, we love them. But we didn't see them when we were playing because they tend to stand at the back. So who, the kid, who we were seeing was the younger contingent, who are teenagers uh, and those in their 20s, you know. And it's it's funny because it's like a throwback to when we first studied because they dress the same, they look the same <laughs> to when we first studied out. But they're like, you know, they're kids, you know. They're like, they're in their 20s. When we played in Russia, we were playing 
I mean, the first like 20 rows were teenage girls, 14 to 19, because <laughs> we met a lot of them because they were thronging the theater as we went in for the sound check, clutching pictures of us when we were a similar age. <laughs> and so that was quite extraordinary. And it, and it happened right across the world. So it's very gratifying, you know, that, that this music relates to young people who've discovered it in a natural way. They just, it's searching for something that is authentic. Because we talk to them afterwards. We talk to them. Why, how did you find this? What does it mean to you? It's like, it's, it's like real. They say it's real. This is real. It connects with us. And they're like, like they were in the early days, they're outsiders. They're kind of, you know, those kids that are outsiders. And they hear something in this music that means that they're not alone. And that means so much. And it just goes like the torch is passed on. So there's that. And then Daniel and Kevin went out doing uh, Pop Time, which I thought was really good. Because I always like Turns on Turn. It was great to see those two out playing live. So it was sort of like these two, you know, trains running on different tracks. And then, you know, we come to an intersection, a chicane, as it were. And it collides. But it's not a crash. It's a, a melding together. We become one train and then we carry on. It's yeah. rather, rather poetic. Analogy. <laughs> it it, it kind of feels, I mean, almost like like your work in these bands. It's 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 just as popular as it ever was, if not more so. I think Bauhaus feels so. Mm. There, it still feels very contemporary to me. Uh, there, it's it's yeah. Uh, well, it was crazy. I mean, when we announced the first two gigs, it sold out in a minute, literally a minute. <laughs> Which you know, it just blew our minds. You know. Wow. So any thoughts to some more dates besides just the ones in LA or, or just kind of playing that close to the best right now and, and seeing, seeing where that leads. It is the latter, but we're, we're receptive to it. And, you know, we're, we're, we're like long distance. We're getting on great. <laughs> that <laughs> might, might all change. When we're in the same room together, but, <laughs> at the moment you know, it's great I mean we've actually agreed not to do any interviews about this or really talk about it so I'm I'm teetering on on the cusp of um, sort of uh, reneging on the pact as it were <laughs> here so I'm, I've got to tread very carefully because I've agreed you know to stay strong because you've had loads of people like Rolling Stone all these big papers wanting to do big features and interview us and photos. They're saying, no, we're not doing that. We're just going to play the gigs and sort of focus on that. And, uh, so we're not doing that. So let's leave that there. <laughs> Fair enough. I think I've got, I appreciate you asking, answering that question yeah. though. And um, yeah, I guess just to wrap up, what else would you like to tell the fans as far as the new album is concerned and, and what to expect? Um, I know you mentioned that you may be doing some more tour dates, but, but just as far as what to expect, um, anything else you want to say, any parting words about the album that you would like to, to, to mention? Um, well, 
The basic touring party is me and Robert Masachek on the keyboards. And then we have different violinists coming in. We have a great violinist, uh, Fiona Bryce, who plays with um, John Cale, Debo, and Elbow. She's going to join us. Carol can't do that because he's, he's always busy with different projects. But then he's going to join us in the UK. And then when I play in, in uh, America, it'd be me and Robert and possibly an American violinist. Although Carol tonight expressed his passionate desire to, to come over to America and play with me, which I, I'm very um, moved by. And uh, if we can make that work, that would be great. Um, so that's the basic like touring band. And it'd just be me and Robert, like I said, in Austin. Um, but I'm, I really love what we did in rehearsal tonight. And it's, it's, cause it's like, uh, it's only three of us. So you have to, um, sort of compensate for the, the, um, absence of the instruments that were on the record. I mean, the accordion is quite, quite a lot on the record and that's not there, but that's I like that kind of challenge, you know? And so it's like, okay, so where, where do we take the songs? And we've taken them to a place that I'm really pleased with. And um, also good going back to the, the whole back catalogue, there's one cover, which will be a bit of a surprise. Um, I always like to throw in a bit of a, a curveball cover. <laughs> uh, it's actually two covers. I, I tell them that it's two covers. Um, but the rest of it is my material. And... Uh, yeah, it's it's come together really well. So very much looking forward to getting out there. I've got that itch to get out of these. Like when I'm not, I haven't been on the road for a bit, I get this itch, and I, I'm, I, I need to scratch it. So I'll be doing that very soon. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Is there a song you would like me to include? A single off the album that you would like me to 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 end the program with? Let's go for Copper Level 7. And I re- uh, my friend uh, Pierre, the uh, mad French filmmaker, just made a lovely video um, which was for that song, which is going to be released on the release date, which is actually October the 18th. And the, what he's done is a bit of, bit of uh, alchemy, really, because I shot, I shot some of this footage on my phone. And Jeanette Napolitano who was hanging out with me and the subject of the song, Lorenzia. Oh, really? Um, yeah, is she shot Lorenzia dancing in front of a fire in the middle of the desert. And then Pierre shot a fire that he built. And then I had this little, I made these little paper dolls, a paper doll, which was I had in the courtyard when I was recording the album and filmed just been blown around by the wind willy-nilly <clears throat> and that um that goes into that, that that footage i handed it all over to pierre and he's done a, a bit of alchemy as i say and made it into a, a wondrous magical little movie little video and the band that i have on the record is fantastic annabelle lee who are based in la and um it's uh sheila e and Richard E. Ellis, E. for Ellis. And it's a wonderful, like, nine-piece ensemble, really subtle, 
jazz tinged, but like with a trip hop element. They were on the Ninja Tune label originally. And um, fantastic musicians. And they they just featured on that one track. So, yeah, that all came together. And again, very spontaneous. You know, not that much pre-planning, just going with the flow of the universe, man. Very cool. I look forward to checking that out as well. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, David. There it's, been, you go. it's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks for taking the time out to talk to me today and uh, good luck with the, the yeah. tour and everything else. Thanks, Michael. Bye. All right. Take care. Good night. Thanks again to David for taking time out for this interview today. You can pre-order Missive to an Angel from the Halls of Infamy and Allure via Bandcamp at glassmodern.bandcamp.com slash album slash Missive to an Angel from the Halls of Infamy and Allure. Yeah, I got it all out without messing it up. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> and you can keep track of all things David J at davidjonline.com. And as promised, we're closing out today's episode with Copper Level 7 off the new album. So give it a listen, enjoy, and we'll talk to you soon. Copper Level 7 Suits her well Copper level seven Suits her well She bites her lashes And the hurricane starts in China You're on your knees In the vestibule of the vagina Slips on her stockings and initiates a coup d'etat Dons a Louboutins and you're wishing on the star Copper level seven suits her well Supernovas and particle collider. 
Seven. Mm-hmm. 